Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Starting our New Year's resolutions early for 2018, this is Sex and Science Hour. And we are back on the Friday night train. Feels <laughs> yeah. good, doesn't it? Feels good. Just, I mean, sometimes, you know, you just it happens. It can happen. It could, yes. Where you can get a little bit off off the track. Yeah. As long as you keep the same amount of episodes out, I think it's okay. Yeah, we we haven't gotten any complaints, uh, which I think is good. You know, I'm a fan of starting New Year's resolutions early because really, every day is a new year. Uh, every second is a new year That's than a, a year and one second ago. You know? you know, you probably wouldn't want it to go this direction, but I'm just going to say it's a very Janish concept. Well, you have to explain for our listeners who haven't heard that show that there is an episode of Sex and Science Hour where that inside joke is explained. But for those who don't know, what do you mean by that, Brian? Well, so Janish is <laughs> so there's there's the Jains, OK, which is a ancient religion in India. Yeah, right. it's like a Buddhist kind of, or like yeah, pre-Buddhism almost. Yeah, no, no it, it's old. Like, it's yeah. really old. And, I mean, they're well known for being, you know, vegans effectively and all this. We had so, a show where we were trying to reference the Jewish religion. Well, no, no, and no. And we, we didn't want to say Judaism, so we said something about a religion that starts with J. And I said, <laughs> well, what other religion starts with J? That's pretty obvious what we mean. And you said Jainism. Right, yeah, that that's and, and then we were Jainish, and then, then we use to say that we're Jainish instead of Jewish. <laughs> but Jainish just means Jewish for for future reference. If you're new to the in show. our little, yeah, yeah, our our nice little colloquialisms that build around the show. So anyway, all right, let us move on, shall we? Well, why is it a Jewish concept to say that every second is a new year? Oh, just because, like I said, every day, you know, every time the sun comes up. In in, Jude, in rabbinic Judaism, that's considered like each day is a new creation. Mm-hmm. And that's how you end up with the idea of Teshuvah, which was developed to replace the fact that you don't have a temple anymore, you know, which is where all forgiveness is supposed to come from. So instead you create Teshuvah, which means that each each day is another chance for forgiveness. Each day is, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I like that. I really like that. Yeah, it's actually, I, I like the concept. That's why it kind of sticks with me, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, more so than a lot of other uh, Jewish ones. But No, I uh, think that's great. And I mean, I, I know that, you know, January 1st is a, Convenient yet arbitrary time to uh, evaluate, look back on the past year, 
reflect on it, reflect on how you want the the next year to be. It yeah. seems like everyone is sort of doing that around the same time of year, so you can get kind of, kind of swept up in the spirit. You don't have to be reminded. But, I mean, just as a reminder, you can take any opportunity to reflect back on the past year, to do personal growth, to set goals for the future, to think about, you know, what you want your life to be and to assess where you're at and where you want to go. So, um, you know, don't wait. If you have a, a New Year's resolution that you really want to implement, you can start right now, whether it's December 29th or whether it's uh, January 5th or whether it's June. <laughs> yeah, I mean, another saying I love is that a year ago you'll or a year from now you wish you started today. And yeah, like that's that, right. And I think that's so spot on. I like that that proverb of like the best time to plant a tree was yesterday, but the second best time is today. Right. Yep. That's a good one, too. Absolutely. All right. So that's enough inspirational stuff. (laughs) Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. This is our last show of 2017. And in 2018, almost, in 2017, almost 2018, there is a man who claims that his penis is so large... That he cannot work. It's not me. It's not me. (laughs) It is not Brian. (laughs) And he he claims that his penis is so big that he is basically disabled. Can you imagine going into a welfare office and saying, yeah, you know, just my my penis is too big. I can't do anything. (laughs) Roberto Esquivel Cabrera. You may have heard of this guy because he's been all over TV. Oh. And now I wonder how much he gets paid for doing all this media. Yeah. Not that people who go on TV are necessarily rich or celebrities or anything like that, but I have to imagine that he makes some money off of doing these appearances. And yeah, sure. There's he an probably gets fee. offered porn gigs, I'm assuming. Um, has registered as disabled, claiming his 1.5 foot long pride and joy, 1.5 feet ladies 1.5 feet so that's 18 inches yes he claims his penis is 18 inches long (laughs) which if you get into the article or if you get a little more into it basically the the dude has a he's been examined by doctors yeah he has basically a normal size penis but the foreskin is extremely long oh he basically has a really long foreskin okay okay that makes sense. And so he has like, to, like, basically tape it to his leg to walk around. <laughs> like, it's... I could imagine how you might be a little bit... That might be a little bit disabling. <laughs> wow. Like, how does that... I uh, Jesus. <laughs> he, I think he puts, like, a sock on it, like a knee sock, to keep it warm or whatever. <laughs> I don't, no, no, I wasn't jerking off. Like, <laughs> I had to put a sock on it. He says, I cannot do anything, I cannot work, and I am disabled. So I want authorities to declare me as a disabled person and give me support, says Cabrera. Wow. And here's a picture of him holding his dong. It is blurred is, out, but... Is it in the sock? Oh, it's blurred it, out. It, is, it goes down to his knee. It literally goes down to his knee. How does, like, <laughs> like I don't understand. How does the foreskin, like, even roll back enough to where he can, like, pee? Uh, so I guess there is a hole that goes through, um, that he can pee through and they're showing an x-ray here and it just, the tissue just keeps on going. And apparently like he is able to get a surgery, like there is a surgery he could get to reduce the size so that he could have a more normal life, but he refuses. He doesn't want to get the reduction. Does like, is he a good looking guy by your... Uh, 
no. Okay. I, I mean, he's, he's kind of like an older Mexican oh, okay. gentleman, not really my type, but um, I could see his, you know, he may have some kind of appeal, but it, it's like, basically, yes, it's a large penis, which maybe carries a certain social status, but he says he's unable to have a romantic or sexual relationship. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, it, it would be really difficult to have sex with a penis like that. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's hard enough to have sex with a penis that's like eight or nine inches long. Imagine 1.5 feet. Yeah, well, which, it, like, again, it really isn't. Like, so with the x-ray, like, does it look like it's half the length? Like, what? Like, how big is his penis, actually? Uh, check out this x-ray. We, 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 we could describe it. it. It literally just keeps on going. And there is a path through it. The urethra keeps on going, too. Um, but yeah, there we you know, go. I, I get it. I, out. Like, I wish I had my foreskin, right? But this is one of those cases, get, get that stuff off. Like, like <laughs> Right, yeah. Take well, off the foreskin. He, again, the, he's been offered the chance, but he refuses. Wow. I mean, like, I get it. There, there's challenges with that, because like his dick is going to be super sensitive if he did take off his foreskin after this. But, wow. I don't know if I would trust doctors. He, and maybe he thinks he's got something good going, so why should he change it? There and it I don't blame him. It's his body, his choice. Woo. More coming up. This is Sex and Science Hour. Yes, it is. <laughs> Where else would you hear about a story like that? That is so crazy. I know. Wow. You know? Now, I mean, I never... Like, the, the way that that was talked about, like, I would never begrudge somebody for saying... For, for saying that they don't want to have a surgery. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Like, that is totally their choice. Every surgery yes. has risks and benefits and yes. drawbacks. And often the risks are very significant and the, the drawbacks are very significant. So I certainly don't blame him for not wanting to let, not trusting doctors to mess with his penis. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I would have that much faith either. <laughs> right. So uh, totally not dissing on him for that. But I just think uh, that's... Uh, that's a that's a story of the weird. That's a hell of a thing. All right. <laughs> so, um, speaking of stories of the weird, well, we're in the science segment, and do you ever find it weird when you feel like you have a great day at the gym, you're eating really well, you stick to your diet, you may even like count calories, Ooh. and then you get on the scale the next morning and you expect that it's going to go down and you're going to be rewarded and get some positive feedback <laughs> for your good behavior, but instead you actually weigh more than you did the day before. Oh, dear. Or more than you expect to. Has that ever happened to you, Brian? Uh, it used to, but, like, I'm to the point now, I, I pay no attention to the scale. Right. Like, I mean, I had zero because, you know, for varying reasons, my weight can be, you know, very erratic. Yeah. Uh, from Because I work out a lot. And... Well, that's, that's one of the things. Like, th this has definitely happened to me. Sure. And we're going to get into eight sneaky reasons that cause weight fluctuations oh. here in a minute. I think this is really kind of interesting, because if this has ever happened to you, you're like, yeah, what was going on? I right? want to know more about that. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> so we might as well explain the science. But it's definitely happened to me. And the thing is, like, it makes you think, okay, well, maybe this is why I shouldn't weigh every day. Maybe I should just weigh in once a week. Right. But what if on that once a week, it it fluctuates so much that it erases an actual loss that you've made, and then you, you have to wait a whole another week to find out that you actually made a loss? You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. it's not real time enough on the feedback. So I think, like... I think weighing every day maybe is a better solution, but you also have to kind of keep it in stride and just know that it's not always going to be, 
it's not always going to seem rational, you know, what your weight does. Right. You can, you can lose weights in kind of fits and starts, and you can lose a lot at once and then nothing for a while, and you can plateau. And it's, it's really tricky, you know? Yeah. It's very tricky. I still think that measuring stuff, for me, it really helps to have that objective basis in reality of how much do I weigh? How, what exactly did I eat yesterday? And how mm-hmm. many calories was that? What have I been eating over the last month? Where am I in my menstrual cycle and all that stuff? Because right. that, you know, ladies, that's a big curveball here. Um, it really affects things. And we're going to talk about that in the article. But it really helps me be in touch with reality and in touch with my body. And I know we're not big fans of like biometric tracking apps no, on the show. Yeah, no. But that is one thing where it actually does help me keep my weight uh, in check. Because if I don't pay attention to it and if I don't measure it and if I don't stay in touch with reality, it will just drift up. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's some things I like. I track the amount of protein, the amount of creatine, like things like that. I, I definitely track my supplements really hard, um, and I'm very particular, like in how I make my shakes and things like this. But other than that, yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't count calories. I don't do, you know, really anything of the sort. Yeah, um, counting calories. I mean, some people really hate on it. There, there are people who say, well, if you eat like low carb and you balance your hormones you will naturally feel full so that you cannot eat too much ah. and you shouldn't have to worry about tracking calories. I see. Some other people say tracking calories is the only way to lose weight because literally it is calories in, calories out, and right. the balance between them. And that's why you have to have a caloric deficit one way or another right. in order to lose weight. And the only way you know if you have a caloric deficit is if you track it. Yeah. But the thing is, like, the tracking can be imprecise. The data on the food, it, like, you don't know how much you your body actually digests these foods. And, mm-hmm. like, it, it can be weird sometimes. It cannot follow the expected patterns and trends. And that can be really frustrating. Sure. But I overall, I do think that more, da- as a scientist myself, I I like more data as opposed to less data. And if anything else, being aware of what you put in your mouth helps with just general Mm self-awareness and it makes you more conscious about the things that you eat and you will end up eating better. Yeah. I think my, my personal opinion on it. Sure. So that's where I stand on sort of like calorie counting and tracking. But of course, like, like anything else, I could see somebody doing it in an obsessive, self-punishing, unhealthy way too. So you gotta be watching out for the eating disordered stuff to come in. So it's, it's all very complicated and it's something that a lot of people have trouble with. And a lot of people are thinking about this time of year is like, oh my God, I've gained 10 pounds from the holidays. I've been eating all these Christmas cookies. Uh, what do I do? How do I like lose this weight really fast before the spring? Well, here are eight sneaky offenders that can cause weight fluctuations. This is from the My Fitness Pal blog. Uh, one, number one, you drank a ton of water. It's true that staying well hydrated is a good move if you're trying to lose weight, but the first few days of upping your water intake could actually cause the number on the scale to creep up. Why? Well, simply put, it's water weight. Yeah, right. (laughs) If you drink a ton of water and you're not, like, excreting it through your kidneys, um, it could look like you gained two pounds the next day. But it doesn't mean you gained two pounds of fat. It means your body was dehydrated the day before, and now you've made up that water, Mm. enough water perhaps, to weigh two pounds. Uh, Second reason, you strength trained yesterday. So you lift weights, and it can actually make you look heavier. 
Yeah, this is this is one of the major reasons why I just don't anymore. I don't bother anymore uh, because I don't know where it's fat loss and where it's muscle gain. Yeah. I mean, because like, you know, especially now I'm to the point. I mean, I'm crazy. I'm working, you know, working out usually well over an hour. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it's really like a very and to say nothing of what else happens throughout the day, maybe some cardio. I mean, it's such an all consuming thing. And I'm always lifting weights. Uh, even if I'm doing legs, it's lifting weights. So yeah, like this, this one I think is really important. If you're really serious about working out and you're doing serious weightlifting, you know, when, when somebody asks you, you know, how much you weigh, then it's time to maybe check, but otherwise I wouldn't bother. Yeah. That's why, I mean, I think that using weight as your only measurement Mm -hmm. is difficult because you can't tell what the body composition is from just the number on the scale. Um, You know, you, you've heard the stories I'm sure of people who the scale doesn't budge an ounce, but suddenly they're fitting into pants that are two sizes smaller than they used to or something like that. Yeah. And that, that is absolutely possible. It's just that your body composition is changing. So perhaps like measurements and fat body fat measurements like measurements of like, for example, the circumference of your waist or your arm or something like that. Yeah. Combined was, with body fat and weight tells a fuller picture, a, a better story about the full picture. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I mean, like like one one measurement that I and it's just for fun is like measuring a bicep, you know, either cold or flexed. Oh, yes. Brian loves to. I help him with this. You do, I actually yeah. take these measurements. Yeah. And it's just for fun because here's the and thing. And then I tell him, oh, your biceps are so big. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, don't lie to me. You have the biggest biceps. You <laughs> yeah. should walk into the welfare office and say you can't work because your biceps are too large. Yeah, right. Uh, but anyway, here's the thing is that that number can mean absolutely nothing. Like you could just be a smaller person. And so, you know, if I have 17 or 18 inch biceps and you have 15, that doesn't mean you're like less fit or something like that, you know? So, so even those numbers can be very fishy. That's why I say a lot of the metrics, you know, when, when you're working out, if this is like a concern for you, I imagine for a lot of people, if not the main reason it's at least in the background, you want to look good naked, right? Okay. Then there's then, yep. then honestly, there's your metric. Do you look good naked? Yes. <laughs> you, you're happy with yourself. That's good. That's well, it's it. not exactly like a binary, right? Well, it is. I mean, to you, it's a binary. Do you are you pleased with what's in the mirror or not? <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's the real in my opinion, that's the real gauge. You know, what the scale says, what all this other stuff says doesn't mean a thing. Well, why do you think that uh, gaining you could gain you could appear to gain weight if you lifted weights yesterday? Well, it's actually because uh, exercise causes inflammation, and that's how exercise actually works to help you gain muscle. You're creating tiny little micro tears in the muscle fibers, and when those fibers build back up, that's what causes your muscles to get stronger. But at the same time, during that phase where your muscles are inflamed after a workout, your body uh, basically retains water sure. around them, and it helps with muscle repair. So that can make you appear to have gained weight the day after a workout. Even right. It's not exactly muscle either. It's just water from the inflammation in your muscles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Number three, you ate more sodium than usual. It's no secret that certain foods can affect your weight. Sodium is one of them that can have an immediate, though temporary, impact. And the reason for that is that, you know, basically our kidneys are not very good at excreting sodium because we didn't Mm -hmm. grow, like humans didn't evolve 
eating a lot of sodium, there was more potassium in the environment. Right. And sodium and potassium kind of go together in, in kidneys. They're, they're almost like a little balance. And like it used to be that our diets had way more potassium and way less sodium. Yeah. And they do now. Now we're, we're the the scales have tipped the other way. We eat way more sodium and way less potassium. Right. So our kidneys are really good at getting rid of potassium, but not very good at getting rid of sodium. Yeah. And when you have too much sodium, you also retain water was, with it that, because of osmosis. That was going to be my next point is that that'll add into the water weight thing. So mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Uh, number four, you ate more carbs than usual. Oh my God. Has this ever happened to you? You've been eating low carb. (laughs) You break down on Friday night. You have a pizza party. The next day you appear to have gained five pounds. Yikes. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I'm never doing that again. But then you do it the next Friday. (laughs) Though I'll tell you, the opposite has also happened where it's what they call carb loading. Yeah. Okay. Where like, I'll, you know, you could go a month, two months, three months, whatever, being really low carb, being really strict about it, really great. And then you go nuts and you have a pizza or something. The next day you could actually have lost weight. Like I, I've, I've seen that's yeah, happened to some me. Some people say that's like about the carbohydrate cycling or whatever. Right. That you're, you know, right. And if you get, I mean, carb loading is something people recommend doing. Like if you get in a rut where your low carb diet isn't dropping your, your fat. Yeah. uh, Any longer. That's not carb loading. That's carb cycling. Or carb cycling. Yeah. Carb loading is when you eat a pasta like before a marathon. Yeah. I think they've, some people have used that term interchangeably, but yes, but uh, but I, but I understand what what you're saying, but I've even seen that where like you'll, you'll eat carbs and then that kicks your metabolism back into high gear, you know, because it hasn't had carbs in so long. And the next morning you could actually like have lost three pounds Mm -hmm. or something crazy. Yeah. Because carbohydrates stimulate insulin release. Insulin actually, um, makes you release thyroid hormone. Right. Or insulin activates thyroid hormone or something, T3 into T4, right. which is the active form. And yeah. that can cause your metabolism to basically – the thyroid is the master metabolic regulator. So that could cause your metabolism to kind of just burn a little brighter. <laughs> yeah. Like Mark Sisson talks about – if I remember right, he talks about either doing it once a week or twice a week depending. If like if you're in a really serious exercise regimen, you could do it once a week. Um, otherwise, maybe uh, – or may, not twice a week, but once every two weeks. Well, uh, every two weeks that, yeah. that you can carb cycle and uh so you you mean like one cheat meal every two weeks pretty much yeah. if you're not like very active i think that's what he about what he recommends so yeah. yeah the problem is it's really hard to not let a cheat meal turn into a cheat weekend oh yeah and, and a weekend <laughs> and that's and that's dangerous. And we're going to talk about the weekends here too yeah because the weekend can wreck everything you've been doing for months it can wreck it, everything you've been doing for the whole week and if it goes on long enough yes yep. it can wreck your progress for months yeah that's right um, it's so much easier to overeat like by a huge margin on the weekend than to undereat consistently enough to create a real like actual long-term caloric deficit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so you ate more carbs because carbs can carbs basically are like a ma- like sugar, glycogen in the liver. Um, it gets depleted. Your liver stores sugar in the form of glycogen. And when you eat a low carb diet, your glycogen stores get depleted. And when you suddenly replenish those stores, um, not only is a bunch of sugar and carbohydrates being stored in your liver and in your muscle tissue also to a certain extent, but water comes along with it. And so it it acts like a sponge for water and that makes can make you appear heavier as well. Sure. And also like, you know, in the long term, after a couple days, a lot of that carbohydrate is also getting converted into fat. Yeah. So that could actually make you really gain fat, which is the weight that you don't want. 
So, uh, number five, you haven't gone to the bathroom in a while. Now, Brian, confession time. Have you ever weighed yourself before and after a really good poop? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have, too. That's the Delta S (laughs) right there. (laughs) Yep. Um, You know, you can sometimes drop like two to four three or four or even five pounds if you're really if you're really uh taking advantage of that well you know even like with weighing yourself in the morning you know like when i used to weigh myself i knew you don't weigh yourself till after you pee in the morning that's right yeah uh because i mean that that's part of i guess the water weight whatever a whole bunch of you know stuff so if you want to get the most consistent yeah you do it at the same time every day First thing in the morning, but after you go to the bathroom. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, this is certainly a component of it. Absolutely. Uh, Number six, you're about to start your period. Oh, yeah. Um, That happens to me every single month, and it can be very discouraging. Uh, (laughs) The other thing is, I don't know if any, like, if if you're listening to this, and if you have menstrual cycles, um, Look into the the consumption patterns of women during the the month. It's it's actually very well studied that the appetite of women is lowest during the uh, follicular phase, which is the beginning two weeks of mm. your cycle. Right. So the cycle starts when your when your period starts. The beginning two weeks until you ovulate in the middle um, is a time of like low appetite and actually on the day or the couple days around when you ovulate, that is when women consume the fewest calories. Ah. They're not hungry They They get like, they lose their appetite, but then during the luteal phase, which is after ovulation until the, the next period starts, um, women get more hungry and they consume more calories. So over the month it evens out, but there are all these people who suggest, like personal trainers and stuff, who suggest trying to work with your menstrual cycle by, like, eating certain foods. And they say, like, if you eat, like, plain cocoa powder and branch-chain amino acids, it can curb some of those, like, hunger cravings at the end of your cycle when you have PMS. Right. And um, they say, like, you can eat more carbs in the follicular phase in the beginning of the cycle because you have better ens- insulin sensitivity and... um But it's actually like kind of the opposite of what you would want to do. Sure, right. (laughs) Because at the beginning of the cycle, you're not hungry and you're not craving carbs. At the end of the cycle, you're craving potato chips, but that's when your insulin sensitivity is worst. So you have to resist the cravings. That's why it can be so hard. Another reason it can be hard is it's the weekend. Now, this is really, really interesting. A small shuddy. (laughs) A small, I'm going to leave that in. A (laughs) A small study. In first shift Monday to Friday workers found that people's weights tended to go down during the work week, hitting their lowest point on Friday morning. But weights went up over the weekends to their highest point on Monday mornings. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe because people are eating all kinds of shit over the weekend. And then at work, they're like sobering up and like, oh, I better just eat a sensible lunch or whatever. Yeah. They Um, sit down to watch Perfect Strangers and Family Matters with a pizza. That's what happens. Yeah. Now, this has definitely uh, been true for me. I'm like, Friday is always my lowest weight. It's true. Mm. (laughs) So there you go. It's not just you. Uh, Number eight, your weight was down yesterday. Sometimes yesterday's weight can affect today's weight for reasons that are all in your head. 
Some people cannot get on the scale without judging themselves for the number they see. Oh, yeah, that is so true. That's me. Uh, Lewis explains, if the number is up, they decide that they have failed, feel bad, and resolve to eat less and work out more. If the number is down, they decide they're a success, feel great, and decide that they can eat more and work out less. Oh, my God, that happens to me. I get complacent <laughs> if I see it go down, and then it goes up and I get scared. And it's like going up and down like that. <laughs> Ideally, you would behave the same way each day when dieting, and over time, your weight would trend downward despite the normal fluctuations. But for many people, this is easier said than done. If it, scale makes you think this way, they say, continue weigh, or consider weighing yourself less often so you don't see the natural ups and downs. Sure. I don't know if that works either, because weighing yourself is like a habit. Well, anyway, I didn't really ha hack anything, but... I got some really interesting excuses that I can tell myself <laughs> if I step on the scale and it's higher. I was like, oh, it was from my workout yesterday. Yeah, just like, no, be. you know, I've got eight good reasons why this is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Vegan cafe run by women charges men an 18% premium. <gasps> yes. Are they evil commies or are they just using exercising their private property rights? Well, so let me tell you a little bit more about this. This yes. is from a video, but basically the video was kind of like an infographic -y style where they were like, you know, they had a few quotes from the women. It's not really worth playing because a lot of it is like text based. But basically, cafe in Australia, vegan cafe, they say their mission statement says they are by women for women. This is supposed to be a women's space. OK. And in order to raise awareness about the gender pay gap and disparities between men and women, they, one week a month, so not even all the time, just one week a month, they charge men an extra 18%. Now, this is pretty much voluntary from what I can tell. Mm -hmm. um, they do not say, hey, you're a man. You have to pay more. They don't say <laughs> who's a man and who's not a man. Right. So you have to self you have to volunteer to pay this tax. You have to self-identify yourself as a man. They're not going to tell you you're a man or you're not. Okay? Right. Which I feel like that's good. That's a good policy because you could easily misgender someone, right? Sure. Sometimes you just don't know. And sometimes, you know, people aren't what they appear to be, right? So, you know, self-identification is a good policy, I think. And they give the 18%. They don't keep the profit. They give it to a women's charity that supports oh. women and girls. And well, it's only one week a month. And actually, they say, like, if a man comes in and doesn't pay it, they really don't do anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is just great publicity, right? You know, I mean, I think there's there's real ideological underpinnings. Oh, but some people will be so mad about this. Some people will say this is discrimination against men. This is an outrage. Men are oppressed. Well, I don't know. To me, it just sounds like private property. They make their own rules. It's not even really a very strict rule. Uh, it's kind of self-selected group of people that goes to this space. And also, it's an economic disincentive for men to come there. Right. What's wrong with that? If they want to incentivize it being a woman's space, then hit them where it hurts, you know? <laughs> like, give them an economic incentive. People understand incentives, right? Yeah. I mean, myself, I don't see anything wrong with no, this. No, myself, I have no problem with it. In fact, if anything, I think it's it's kind of cool. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I dig this cool sort too. of, right, I dig this sort of thing. Um, I mean, it's not segregation. They're not saying you can't 
you know, uh, frequent the place. Mm-hmm. They're just saying, oh, yeah, there's a little something extra for you. I don't think legally they even could do that because it probably would be considered discrimination under like the Civil Rights Act. Well, this is an, in Australia, so right. I don't know what the laws are in Australia, but I imagine they have some version of the Civil Rights Act where it's like, OK, if it's a business that's open to the public, you really can't discriminate and charge people different prices or deny people seating or whatever. But, you know, I think they're making it kind of into a, a voluntary thing. And probably most people follow it. Sure, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't, boy, I don't know what else to say. Like, I, I just, I think it's fine. And and I think the more that this reminds me of, like, with Wonder Woman when the Wonder Woman movie came out and how everybody was freaking oh, out. Oh, they had the women's only showing. The women's only showing. Oh, yeah, so like, oh this is terrible! I can't believe I don't get to see this movie. And it's oh, okay, you couldn't drive down the street to where they're allowing men to see it or something. Yeah, that's like, I mean, it, it's such bullshit. Let us have just one yeah. movie, please. If like, you don't one like coffee, one vegan coffee shop that you probably don't want to go to anyway. Right. If you don't like the coffee shop, guess what? There's tons of other coffee shops. Yes. You don't have to go. It's it's so mind boggling. Like, because I'm sure people are freaking out about this. Obviously, this got some great publicity, and I think Mm -hmm. it's a brilliant move, um, you know, to to do that. And, and, you know, if it doesn't raise awareness about this sort of thing, yeah, I think to some degree, kind of mission accomplished. Sure. You know, and, 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 and I think that those, uh, those wage gaps are very real. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen them in multiple industries and businesses that I've worked at. Uh, and you could say that that's anecdotal. Well, fine. But guess what? In that town, in New York or overseas, whatever, it was happening. What, you know, what do you want me to say? Like mm-hmm. pretend that it doesn't exist just because on the average it doesn't, which I don't even believe that. I, I think well, on the average usually it does. they say, OK, well, maybe the, the people who don't believe in gender wage gap or whatever, they will say, OK, well, you know, maybe it exists, but it's all because of the choices that women make. If they weren't choosing to be, have babies and stay home and take care of their kids instead of being productive members of society at work, they wouldn't have this problem where they're making less money than men. Horseshit. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially when it's like there is a glass ceiling and it's hard for women to advance into certain uh, role jobs and positions at companies where they would get paid more. Right. And part of that is because of discrimination, because people think women can't hack it. There's oh, yeah. also like, you know, a lot of socialization that go- that plays into things like negotiating for negotiation, <laughs> negotiating for salaries. Right. Where men are much more aggressive. Men are conditioned socially to be more likely to overestimate their abilities, whereas women are more likely to underestimate themselves and to not recognize their own value and what they bring to the table. So all that factors into negotiation. And yes, sure, the the problem or the expectation, the social expectation that our culture has on women to be basically the primary caregivers of children and aging adults mm-hmm. um, can create a lot of pressure where a woman feels squeezed and can't spend as much time at work and also fulfill that social expectation or obligation. Right. There's also the idea of the second shift where women take on the the majority of housework, of the burden, burden of household chores. And that's a cultural thing, right? Maybe it's cultural expectations or whatever. But the second shift is the idea that a woman could work all day. And when she gets home, the expectation is that she will do the majority of the housework and the cleaning and the cooking and the put, doing dishes and laundry and all that kind of stuff. Well, it is the same expectation is not uh, placed on men. And usually when they get home, they just can relax. 
Yeah. I, I mean, bottom line being, look, if you're the kind of person that thinks that like brown people or Mexicans or something shouldn't be able to cross a certain border, well, then guess what? You can get taxed for being your fucking gender. You know? <laughs> At the vegan coffee At shop, vegan which you don't even want to go to anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's great. Libertarianism and capitalism in action, right? Woo. Private property rights. I'm all for it. <laughs> and you should be too if you espouse those things. Anyway, there's more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. Would you rather have good sex or personal space? The answer may surprise you. Welcome back to Sex and Science Hour. We weren't gone long. No. Now, would you rather have good sex or personal space in a relationship? The answer may surprise you. Uh, my answer probably wouldn't surprise anybody, but... Uh, good sex. <laughs> Yeah, good and good, more, all the above. <laughs> yeah, now I would consider myself a person who needs a lot of personal space for most people. Sure. But with my my loving relationships, you know, I want to be close to that person. And sometimes it is like the only relationship where I feel I don't need space. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want as much space as I would from other people. Yeah, I mean, and also, well, I mean, I'm curious what the, obviously that's kind of a baiting headline. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious what the article says, but also at the same time, like any of my desire for personal time is generally to help make me be a better person. Mm -hmm. And by default, you know, have, that contributes give, to the relationship. Yeah, it contributes to to really at the end of the day, even you know, better sex. Sure, uh, I agree. I mean, way. and and the article actually gets into that that like alone time and and being apart d can make you feel closer or can improve your sex life because it mm -hmm. increases your your desire for each other or whatever. Yeah, though I wouldn't go that route. I wouldn't say it's because like it increases my desire because you know time away is good distance for the makes heart. the heart grow fonder. Yeah, that kind of nonsense. Or distance makes the faint heart wander. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> you ever heard that one? Yeah, yeah, there there it is. But uh no, more that that like literally my personal time is me developing me, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 you know, moving at my speed of, you know, be smarter, you know, bigger, stronger, whatever, wealthier, you know, more empathetic. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's because of that distance. I'd say it's because no, I just I you know, I become that that better person. Not that I need personal space to even do that, but if the, if I have it, that's generally what I'm doing. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, and I don't think it's an either or, right? Like right. these are obviously connected. Uh, but this is from lifehack.org by Anna Chewy. Closeness and intimacy may seem like the most important elements to a relationship. Good sex builds intimacy. But the majority of people value their personal space over a dynamic sex life. Over the last 25 years, Dr. Terry Orbuck, a psychologist and author of Finding Love Again, Six Simple Steps to a New and Happy Relationship, has been conducting a long-term study of marriage. The study itself is called the Early Years of Marriage Project, which has been following the same 373 married couples throughout the throes of their relationships since 1990. And it's now 2018, so it's almost 30 years later. As you might imagine, not all of the couples managed to remain happy throughout the duration of their relationships. 29% of the spouses reported that they were not given enough privacy or time to themselves from their partners. That is a huge amount of people. Almost 30%, almost a third of people said that they felt they did not have enough alone time or privacy yeah. from their partners. 30%? 30 30%. 29%. Wow, Not only okay. that, but 11.5% of the unhappy spouses said that the root of their unhappiness came from a lack of personal space. 
So for 11.5% of people, this is such a big deal to them that it's really, they say it's the main issue in their marriage. Wow. That they don't get enough personal space. This is nearly double the amount of the 6% who claimed that they were unhappy only because of their sex lives. So more people complain about a lack of personal space than complain about their sex life being crappy. Isn't that, that amazing? Yes. I, uh, so, the, okay, what I think this speaks to, mm-hmm. and this is a recurring theme, I say this all the time, and I don't know how it, it doesn't appear to sink in with people, but, you know, you, you should be friends first, okay, in a relationship. And if your friends usually become friends because you have some kind of thing in common, it, whatever that happens to be. I get it that you could want some personal space here and there to get some stuff done that maybe is like relative to your own work and not work that you share with your spouse or significant other or whatever. Um, but like, I, I can't imagine that like you need personal time so bad away from this person. Like, what are you doing in the relationship? Like, what the hell? You know, I mean, well, granted, we're kind of unique in that. I mean, you and I are are together almost literally all the time. Yeah. No, I'm still processing what I think about this, Brian. And it's interesting that you say that because, yeah, I would consider you and me, uh, Mm -hmm. we took the Myers-Briggs test. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Both of us have the same personality type, which is INTJ. Yes. And that first letter, I, means introvert. Now, introvert, (laughs) introverts are people who need a lot of alone time because they get they get energy from alone time and time to process and recharge their batteries alone. And they get drained by being around people for too long. Mm -hmm. And so they they really draw personal energy like a well from their alone time. Right. And a lot of people are introverted like that. And particularly our Myers-Briggs type, if you believe, you know, if you're into that or whatever, I yeah. think it's a good, I, I like it. I think it's very interesting. But um, particularly INTJ is the most uh, independent personality type. They're known as kind of a lone wolf. They yeah. can sort of take or leave relationships. Right. You know, they're very comfortable being alone and being single and being uh, solitary and just doing their own thing. And they can keep themselves entertained for hours and hours with their own thoughts. Yeah, sounds like me. <laughs> it sounds like me, too, yeah. <laughs> um, but although I do like to have relationships, too. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, in our relationship, you know, we're together. We live together. We mm-hmm. both work from home, so we're in the same house all day. Yeah. <laughs> we are kind of go into our respective workspaces, and we don't always, like, we're not in the same room working all day. But we are, like, basically spending a lot of time together. And I never feel like being around you drains my energy like I do. I feel totally comfortable being myself around you. Mm-hmm. And that is a such a beautiful thing about our relationship because I, I really don't feel like – I feel like there are many people, most people in the world, I could not live in the same living arrangement with them yeah. like I do with you and feel that way. Like I've had roommates before and – actually, I've had roommates for most of my life and – a lot of the time it was it was a struggle to feel like I could really like let it all hang out and relax and just kind of be totally comfortable. Yeah. But I mean, I think it comes down to like I get it, the introversion, but that introversion can come from like you're not you don't. Ha- I guess, I mean, we do the same things like like we literally spend our time doing the same things. We watch the same stuff, listen to the same stuff, work out, you know, like like the the, the mm-hmm. whole thing. Well, we're not always talking to each other when we're together. Sometimes we're just 
just together, kind of being quiet together or yeah. watching something. Or yeah. Reading something. But I think that's, that's a quality that a lot of relationships don't have either is that they can't be quiet or yeah. not, not that they can't be <laughs> they quiet. They don't know how to be quiet. Yeah. They don't know how to be quiet together. They don't right. know how to like, like appreciate being with each other, even in silence. Like they feel like, Oh, if they're not talking to each other, Oh, we're not, we're not actually in love or, Oh, we're not paying attention. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. There's, there's a lot that happens in the silence. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. would, so Brian, would you say that uh, you don't get enough um, alone time? No, no, I wouldn't say that at all. I get, mm-hmm. I get, uh, I don't like I my my needs are met. You know, great, that's awesome. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, I do feel like I get enough alone time. Sure, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, actually, yeah. So I guess we're not in that 29% of people who feel like they don't get enough. But I wonder how many of these matches are like an introvert and an extrovert, you know, where the extrovert's like, hey, what are you doing? Let's do something. Let's talk, you know. And the introvert's like, oh, my God, go away. I need some alone time. Yeah. I mean, that's like it would seem to be it seemed to be ironic. But I think like introverts and introverts can get to get can can get along. Mm hmm the best because they understand what each other needs mm. you know uh and i think an introvert and an extrovert can sometimes make a good can. match i mean it really just depends on the in- individuals i wouldn't say yeah like that, but yeah extroverts are fun because it's like what you see is what you get you know they don't really keep anything hidden but introverts there's always so much going on beneath the surface like you often they often don't say like one percent of what they're thinking you know right (laughs) and they can actually introverts make really good actors because they they can there is so much going on beneath the surface and they can they can almost put on a mask like they can appear an introvert can appear extroverted yes an extrovert doesn't usually appear introverted right yeah i mean but you know even with the stepping outside of the myers-briggs thing yeah 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 um like if you can't just say, you know, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, I want to go for a walk or something like that, or I want to go do this. And, and, you know, and then that, and that's like not a lot, I don't know, whatever it is, if that's not a lot, like, yeah, there's not a, there's, there's a lack of respect going on in that, in that relationship. Like there's, there's, there's problems yeah. you know, going on and I, I don't know what to do about that, but that I, I think you ended up with the wrong person. Yeah. Do you think this is why the the cultural trope of the man cave? <laughs> Do you think there are a lot of men who feel that the only way they, they can get alone time from their partner is to have a masculine space that they kind of claim and own and nobody else really goes in there and they can retreat there when they need some alone time? Do you think that's what that is? Yeah, that I think is about? that's part of it. I think there's other problems with the with the concept of a man cave, but yeah, um, I agree. I mean, it is kind of like a gender trope, and I think that women, some women, need just as much alone time as as male part as their male partners. You know, sure. Yeah, I just, I, I guess, I just feel that like if if this is really the one, if this is the person, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life with, whatever, like. Not that you don't, I mean, alone time's fine, but you're going to respect the fact that you need alone time, but also you're not probably not going to want that much. You're just going to be so excited to be with the person, you know, and, and that feeling doesn't have to go away. I know some people say, well, that's, that's lust and and it's only there in the beginning, but no, not really. It can, it can stick. Mm. So I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I just thought that was a really interesting, um, article maybe you want to talk with your partner about how much personal space they like you know sometimes something that happens is that one partner wants more personal space than the other right but they don't want to say it because they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings because some people have a really hard time understanding that 
if your partner asks for personal space, it doesn't mean they don't love you or they don't like you. Mm-hmm. It just means that they are wired as such that they need that personal space and it will make them better. It will make them happier. It will make your relationship better yeah. if they get the the personal space and alone time that they need. It's nothing to do with you. It's not any kind of slight against you. It doesn't right. mean that they don't love you again. It's just that some people need a lot of alone time and personal space. And when they're ready, when they're done having it, they may really be ready to connect with you in a way that they, they haven't been in a while. You know, yeah, sure. it may really recharge their batteries and it can probably lead to some great sex. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, Man has so many prostate orgasms that he literally can't stop. (laughs) By Ryan F. Mandelbaum from Gizmodo. One 63-year-old man had so many prostate orgasms that he couldn't stop. If you don't already know, it's possible for somebody with a prostate to orgasm by massaging it through their anus. I thought everyone already knew this, says the author, thanks to awkward conversations in health class in the movie Road Trip. I remember that movie. Oh, my God. Where he gets like he goes to the doctor and they're doing a prostate exam and the guy like ejaculates. That actually does happen. I went to medical school. Okay, (laughs) I know men that that's happened to. (laughs) But it's an understudied phenomenon. And a British researcher who is interested in sex named Roy Levin has just published a review paper about it. At the paper's center is a case study about our poor 63-year-old protagonist. The unnamed man was healthy with a normal prostate and a high sex drive. He purchased an Aneros Helix, a fancy butt plug, to massage his tender prostate after an infection. Now, Aneros is a very famous brand of uh, butt toys that stimulate the prostate. Mm -hmm. I've heard great things about them. I haven't tried it, obviously, because I don't have a prostate. But uh, if you do, you might want to check that out. I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Brian's still warming up to the idea. Well, no, I'm kind of hot for it, but just haven't gotten around to it. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Uh, (laughs) Combined with his daily... uh, uh, Tadalafil prescription, that's Cialis, an erectile dysfunction and urinary tract infection drug, the sex toy made the infection go away. But naturally, he began having extreme orgasms of the super-O category, says the paper. He felt them everywhere. His penis, his anus, his pelvis, his perineum, <laughs> the place between the anus and the scrotum. He became addicted. The man needed to wear... the. Now, this is where it gets weird. The man needed to wear a condom in order to catch any of the semen that came out when he finished, reports the researcher. And soon he was able to rewire his brain so that by laying flat and putting a condom on, that was enough to get him off, no butt plug required. That's when the problem started, as the scientific what? paper details. So he didn't have, he didn't have to stimulate? He didn't nope. even have he to stimulate just, he the prostate? He trained proxy. his brain to just lay down, put on a condom, and... Ugh, in his pants. Okay. All right. Keep going. This subject, this is a quote from the paper. This subject found that whilst the orgasm, whilst, (laughs) whilst the orgasms were extremely enjoyable at the time, he could easily spend too much time experiencing them. Further, he had an old neck injury, which flared up in association with some neck spasms (laughs) at orgasm while lying prone. It has proved difficult to stop... it had proved difficult to stop experiencing these orgasms and unwire himself back to normal. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like he can't, I mean, you can't, you can't just like, you really, you can't, you cannot just orgasm like over and over and over again. It's not like this guy was. Oh God. Yeah. Refractory period. Jesus. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, a bunch of reasons. Like, I mean, I'm sure there was like hours where he had to recover, <laughs> right. at least. But if he's taking Viagra at the same time, he's taking Cialis. 
Uh, Eventually, the man figured he should go back to masturbating and having regular sex, but he still had up to 10 non-stimulatory orgasms before ejaculating during these encounters. But he he was able to stop having these random orgasms for a few months at a time. Rock and roll, man. Wow. Hey. (laughs) That doesn't sound entirely pleasant. Well, depends. You know, I know what he means about the neck spasms. Because sometimes when I have an orgasm, my back will arch and my yes. neck will kind of tip tip back, and I can't. It's involuntary, and it like does, I can't yeah. help it. And um, like my neck can get really sore sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, all right then. <laughs> I have the solution for this. Yeah, just neck rubs after your oh, orgasm. Oh yes, I, I like that solution. I'll totally do that. That's absolutely. <laughs> All right, so we got some uh, questions here, Brian. You ready for some questions? The Ooh, first questions. one's for you. Question, why is Brian so upset about the shower trailers? (laughs) Uh, So a couple episodes ago, we referenced a a camping festival that we went to that had shower trucks. And we said you had to put Bitcoins in to get into them, but that wasn't entirely true. They actually had these little tokens, like like, almost like poker chips that you had to put in to be able to get it by a shower or whatever. And you had to buy them from the festival. So, Brian, why were you so pissed off about the shower trailers? I I wasn't really. Like, it's all in jest. Um, Like, literally, I'm, I'm... Or not literally, like I'm, I'm actually kidding about the whole thing. Uh, it just, you know, you put two and two together. It's like, okay, you have the showers, you have the trucks, you know, right. you, you Jews and during the Holocaust, during the Holocaust would hop on the train, get taken to the gas showers. Yes. And it was, they didn't news. hop on, they got forced on. Well, they got, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, that that's it that it's a little too close for comfort with the holocaust story yeah that's what you're saying right it's a rough it's a very it it maybe even considered bad taste by some it's a rough joke uh or it's a dark joke yeah but that's some people got it but that person didn't so yeah which is fine thanks for clarifying yeah yeah yeah. but it's all it's all just a joke i don't those showers i'm sure were wonderful yes and glad you had a great time (laughs) yeah a couple people said they really liked them at the camping festival which they also went to uh question are you guys taking a break how many shows are in this season well we're on episode 25 right now this is the last show of 2017 but only because there's not another friday in the year right um and you know we have decided after much deliberation to just not take a break this season right on and yay applause woohoo well that that is yeah absolutely i mean that this really this decision is totally up to you like like up, up to you stephanie because like with this show you have in my opinion you have like real creative control and you know the schedule and whatever it's all you so you know awesome but i'm gonna be here i'm happy to be doing you know to keep going every every week you know for as long as we go oh that's nice cool yeah um you know i just feel like last season before season four started which we're on season four right now um we took a long break yeah. And it, it became longer than we intended. We yeah, intended to like take like four months. weeks off. It turned into several months. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we lost a lot of listeners during that time because they're like, oh, what are they doing? They could be gone for another two years. Like, right. I think our listeners are a little traumatized because we did season one and then we took two years off <laughs> and nobody knew if we were ever coming back. So they're like, yeah. oh, sex and science hour. You can't. They're like a wild animal. You can't predict what they're going to do. So we want to try to gain some trust back with our listeners, and we're just not going to take a break this season. Uh, usually it's 25 episodes as a season, yeah. right? Um, and we're on episode 25, like I said. So I think we'll just jump right into season five. What do you think? 
no, that's fine. If you want me to start labeling them season five, I'm I'm so on board. Yeah, for after, that, this, after this after this one, sure, yeah. okay. I think it's perfect. Sounds the, great. You know, the, the year concludes, the season ends, and maybe there'll be some changes in season five. You never know, but not too much because we have a. I think we have a winning formula. Awesome. <laughs> I think people like it. Okay, question. This isn't really about sex, but it is about science. Why can some people? tolerate cold. Some love the cold, in fact, but some people can't. I'm amazed at the variance and diversity. Me too. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very amazed at it. And look, there is a wide range. Yeah. And, and no judgment. Like, you know, there's people who like I, I actually and I this is an actual term. I call my I identify as this uh, cryophilic. Means you know, cold loving. So you are one of those people who loves the cold. Right. You know, and look, I've I've lived all over the place. I've lived in Florida. I've lived in California. You know, I lived in Van Nuys and all this. I mean, I, like I, I've, I've been all over, you know, so I know what it's like to live in a lot of different temperate zones, shall we say. And, um, you know, it, there's other factors too that, that play. It's not just cold because there's also like, th- there's some research on the idea that there's, there's people who like to live near water. And there's people who like to live near mountains, like there's mountain people and sea people, you know? Yeah, there's definitely mountain people and sea people. Yeah. And so, I mean, and this is true, like even in in, swamp people, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is true even in certain genetic groups, like, like, well, for Jews, for example, there's mountain Jews, like literally that's what they're called. Really? Oh my God. I didn't know about that. Well, there's definitely the Tibetan people. Have a certain like genetic polymorphisms that make them make more hemoglobin in the low oxygen environment of the mountains in Tibet. Yeah. And their relation to Denisovans. And yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of this different stuff. So, yeah, it is. It is amazing. Um, Not that one's right or one's wrong. You know, I mean, like, I I don't think I don't think it works that way. You know, it's just that, yeah, there's some people who, who can handle the cold, who really dig the cold. And there's some that don't. On the flip side of that, like. nobody really has to experience the cold anymore. Not really. You know, I mean, like you get into your heated, you know, your automatically started heated car, Mm -hmm. your car can already be at 80 degrees when you get into it. Um, Yeah. Most of of our time is spent indoors in the really cold season. Yeah. Either in a house or in a car. The same goes for extreme hot, you know, like in the U S you know, North America, half the year, no matter where you are, Half the year, it's uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Except maybe like California. I feel like California has got a pretty good climate. It's like San Diego is like the same beautiful temperature oh, best, and weather all year round. The best job in the world is a weatherman in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. Bill, how's the weather today in San Diego? Nice. Perfect. Back to you. <laughs> right, you <yeah>. know. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, I think some people can start to take that for granted as well. You know, if you live in perfect weather all the time, sometimes, you know, you you just say take it for granted. And and then they freak out when it rains or something because they don't right. know what to do because it never rains. But, um, you know, it, in a lot of places, it's it's uncomfortable for about half the year. It's either too cold or it's too hot. Yeah. The only thing I'll, I'll say this and this doesn't have to do with like people's tolerances necessarily. But two things, one, one, one aspect that I think is true for everybody, it's easier to get warm than it is to cool off. Okay. Like, I, I think that's a practical fact. Yeah. All right. That, that, I mean, that, that's just how it works. The other aspect of this. Yeah, that's right. Cause you can only take off so many clothes. Right. The other so aspect. You can always of, put on clothes. Exactly. The other aspect of this, and, and this is where like a lot of people, like there can be a lot of different reasons why some people are to use the technical term cryophilic. 
uh, one of them could be, look, you just look at, at all these like crazy areas of the world, like in all the different weather conditions that can happen and, you know, hurricanes in Florida, earthquakes in California, tornadoes in the Midwest, you know, you, you take your pick. I mean, the worst thing you have to deal with in like more in your colder areas. Okay. You get a blizzard. But like, while blizzards can do damage, generally, like the areas there have been, have dealt with blizzards for hundreds of years and everything's designed to really like handle that. And it's not something that's, you know, you're not going to lose a lot of property over a blizzard as to where all these other crazy conditions you will. So I think there's some people who really live in those areas, like out of a practicality because they're like, well, I don't want to deal with, you know, my house blowing over or, you know, my, my you know, reenacting twister with, you know, Bill Paxton or something. So, uh, I, I mean, that, that, that's, that's kind of the deal. In fact, I, there, there was some kind of study a long time ago that like, what is the most temperate place in the world? Like where no disasters happen, no flooding, you know, mm. none of that stuff. I think the answer, what the actual answer was, was like Ukraine. Oh yeah. But, I've heard that. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. What happens in Ukraine? The social changes are sweeping oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. the time. Like, I, I mean, so so even if you wanted to live in Ukraine, you know, you're going to deal with, all right, fine, the temperature is great, but the social climate is an atrocity. Right. You yeah. know, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, so th that needs to be considered as well. And whether people consciously or unconsciously admit to that, um, you know, I, I don't know where that, that takes a part in it, too, but... Uh, right. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I mean, I think actually... A lot of the, a lot of the, the stuff about oh I can't tolerate the cold is social conditioning, and it's sure. where it's where you grew up as well and what you're used to. Sure, like people yep. who That's are born, people who are born and grow up in cold climates often ha deal with them just fine because they're used to it. Yeah, right. People who are born and grow up in warmer climates often have real trouble adjusting and dealing with the cold. Sure. I mean, I think there's something to be said for just what you're accustomed to. Yep, and, that's another I mean, factor. We all have the capacity to deal with the cold, especially with modern heating and clothing and stuff like that. Right. Um, now, I will say this. It is true that sometimes people who are thinner or have lower body fat yeah. um, just tend to experience cold more because they just don't have as much mass to yeah, hold right that on. heat in. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, people who have thyroid problems can also feel really cold because their their metabolism is just not not burning as hot as other people's. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes those people want to live in warmer climates. Sometimes people who are a little bit heavier are much more comfortable living in colder climates because they have a little more insulation to deal with it and they don't get too, too hot in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, myself, I'd love to live where it's 60 degrees and sunny all the time. Like I, I'm, I'm so on board for that, you know. Uh, 60. Yeah, 60. Okay. I like to I you know I like all the seasons. I there's something I like. I live in New Hampshire. I love it here. I we have four seasons. Uh the spring is pretty short. <laughs> sure. But we have four seasons and there's something I love about there's multiple things I love about each and every one of them and I love how it changes and I love how it cycles and I just it's the wheel of the year to use yeah. a pagan term. It's the wheel of the year, it's the circle of life and it's awesome. Yeah. So but I, again you know, nobody's desire for how they want. I mean, there's no right or wrong, you know, in this, but yeah, there's definitely a disparity, but I think there's a ton of factors. I don't think it's just like a genetic thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, you brought up some and I mean, and there's, there's others and yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating.
Right on. Okay. Have we heard about the new changes to OkCupid? Okay uh, so this is a question. we, You and I recorded our another podcast for Sovereign Tech today uh-huh. called The Relationship Rhombus. We've been doing these shows um, where we take now. relationship questions from your listeners for, yeah, a couple of months. We do one about once a month. And uh, one of the questions was, have you guys heard about the uh, the changes to OkCupid's okay messaging system? But it was also posted in our group that OkCupid okay is not only making changes to their messaging system to where, um, well, I'll explain the messaging changes in a minute, but they're also cha- getting rid of usernames. They're making okay. people have their real names. They think this will maybe cut back on phishing and fake profiles and stuff like that. Yep. The other change they're making is... Women get inundated with messages from rando dudes that are just straight women on, on OkCupid. Get inundated with messages from dudes saying, hey, what's up? Hey, beautiful. Stuff like that. And their inbox can get so full that legit better messages get buried. It's hard for them to sort through. They end up throwing the, their hands up and leaving. Or maybe they experience harassment and they don't like it. And they get a bad taste in their mouth about this whole online dating thing and they leave. So OkCupid changed it so that... Um, someone will only see your first message to them if they have liked your profile. Uh So a woman, in order to see a message that a dude sends her, she would have to like the dude's profile first. Yep. It's like saying, okay, you're whitelisted. You can get into my inbox, (laughs) at least. Yeah. So um, I think both of these are honestly... The reason they're doing this, it's a business decision. It's to make OkCupid keep up with the times, modernize their website and their company to mm. be a viable dating site. Because in order to be a viable dating site, they have to attract and retain women. Women are the lifeblood of any dating site or any club or anything like that. Every time, you know, you ever been to a party, it's a sausage fest. It's boring. Nobody wants to stay there, right? Dick is abundant and low value. They want the women. And if women are uncomfortable or if they feel creeped out or if they're experiencing harassment or if they just get overwhelmed with too many messages, they are going to leave. Right. So both of these changes, I think, are purely from a business perspective to stay relevant to the times, to keep as many women as possible uh, having a good user experience and coming back to the site and using it. And where where there are women, the men will follow. And that's what it's about. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I agree. It... Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to <laughs> Sex and Science Hour this week. This has been the last episode of 2017. But, you know, there's a lot more coming up in 2018. And season five is just around the corner. We're going to do that thing where we say we're taking a break, but we're not really taking a break in in a meta sense with our seasons. So thank you for being with us this year. It's been a great year on Sex and Science Hour. I hope you've had a great one, too. And best, best wishes for 2018. There's more coming up also on the after show. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week.
dance to that. I know. And how can you not want to be on our after show, <laughs> which is brought to you by stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. If you want to be on our after show, simply do your shopping through that link. If you hear about any items that you want to get, pick up a copy of yourself, you can just go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and you will find them all there. Right on. So thank you so much for being on our after show and participating. And I think this is really cool. I think we're going to we're going to keep on doing this into the future here. Um, so what did people get through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Well, there's all kinds of stuff. Any butt plugs? Um, I don't know yet. I actually haven't looked, but there is a yoga block. Oh, um, that could go speaking up your ass. Of butt yoga, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you need a yoga block to insert the butt plug. <laughs> you need to like put your foot up on it or something. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Gaiam yoga block for ten bucks. That's really good. Nice. Um, now, do you just get one or do you get two? Because usually you need like two yoga blocks. Oh no, it just appears to be one. Yeah. Well, yoga blocks can really help you with form and reaching different positions. So that's that's yeah. I good. can think of plenty of yoga positions I've been in where one block was that was all that was needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, Sisu Mouthguards Junior Custom Sports Mouthguard for kids. Oh my God, are these the ones where you boil them in water and you put them in your mouth and you make it conform to your teeth? So I. Growing up, um, yeah. I I was actually a champion, uh, well, roller skater and roller hockey player. Ooh. Like as in medals, the whole thing, playing around the country and even around the world. And you had to wear these. Like it was just the rules of the organization that you had to wear one of these. I was so terrified. I was terrified of the concept that wait a minute, this is in boiling water and you want me to put it in my mouth? Yeah, it seems like it would hurt your teeth. Yeah, yeah it doesn't at all. Like, I mean, you you just, you can suck back the water. Honestly, as soon as it hits air, like it cools off it almost instantaneously and it's really not a problem. But I remember like, I was, yeah, I was, I was petrified. Like, I mean, it, it just, there, I did not want to do I was afraid of it too. Yeah. I still remember putting this mouth guard in the boiling water and then thinking, oh, my God, it's going to go. In. Like, I can see the pot of boiling water with the right. mouth guard in it, feeling terrified. <laughs> it's right. really interesting that that memory is, like, kind of burned in my mind. Oh, yeah. Same here. Uh, it's really, ooh, yeah, no. CPAP tubing, eight-foot heavy duty. Yes, if you if you use a CPAP machine, you're definitely going to want some tubing. Handy. CPAP is continuous positive air pressure. Uh, it's an acronym. And people who have uh, sleep apnea benefit from uh, CPAP machines, which keeps the airway open by inflating a little bit of air into your airway while you sleep. And it's almost like the positive pressure uh, prevents your your pharynx from kind of collapse collapsing in on itself right. and causing snoring that wakes you up continuously throughout the night so that you can never really get a good enough sleep. Right. That's what a CPAP machine does. Uh, wow. Another spork. Okay. Tokes titanium spork. A titanium spork. Nice. Wow. That is a serious spork, man. The only spork I have is like made out of a very tough plastic. It's one of those K-bar ones where mm. it has like the knife that slides out from the handle, but it's all plastic. So it's good for travel and whatever else. But yeah, though maybe not so good for travel because, you know, it used to be great for travel and I I would buy you these regularly as needed. Uh, tactical pens. Mm-hmm. You had Got recently, my tactical pen confiscated yeah, by the TSA yours, recently. Yep, you had yours taken away. I had one oh, recently it was so like, funny. where they had to throw it out because of a concert. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought these were TSA legal. 
That's why I got it. And apparently they're not. Um, Or maybe they changed their policy. But I don't know how many flights I've brought this thing through in the last five years. Never had to use it, thank goodness. Right. But uh, yeah, the most recent one I went on, they took it away. Yeah, no well. And the guy was, well, I don't want to tell the story, but he was basically like, this is called a tactical pen. Uh, you can't have this. This is this can be used as a weapon. I'm like, I know. That's why I got it. Like, <laughs> no shit, jackass. I thought this was TSA legal, but yeah. okay. Well, get a good spork. Yeah, and uh, he, I was kind of surprised it didn't get uh, confiscated before then. But yeah, whatever, right. it was a good run. Uh, UGO Infinite Cards Dark Beginnings Unlimited Edition. Oh, nice. Are these like Magic the Gathering cards? Oh, you, you mean Yu-Gi-Oh? Oh, yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, sorry. Oh, okay. No, I don't know right. it. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh is awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like Magic the Gathering. Very popular. Uh, CyberPower CP350 SLG standby UPS system or UP system. Oh, did somebody get another one? Uh, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, it might be the same one that was purchased last week. Uh, Nikon D3400 for dummies paperback. Ooh. Ooh, yes. Serious by Julie Adair King. Yes, definitely. Discover the essentials to getting better photos with the Nikon DSLR, DLSLR D3400. That's a good Nice. One. Definitely good. Uh, a tempered glass screen protector for Fitbit's Blaze. That's cool. It sh- okay. It's like Gorilla Glass or something. It shows a drill not even being able to penetrate this glass screen, and it was only $7. Yeah, they do that all the time. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I don't know what you do mean. for the phone ones, too. I know. Uh, ty- One day, you know, I have spare phones laying around. I'm going to try this. I'm going to say, right, I think I'm you take, should. I think it's really fun to experiment and with, if, like, putting things in the microwave yeah. and, you know, th- stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> putting things in the microwave that you're not supposed to put in the microwave, of like course. Babies. No, not like babies. Oh, no, sorry. I'm talking oh, about, cr- like, uh, no, I'm sorry. Metal. Only Christians are the ones that do that. <laughs> oh, my. You just doubled down. You just you just doubled down. They do though, and then they blame the devil. Can you believe that? I've never seen a Christian put a baby in a microwave, well, but whatever. It, whatever. In Florida it happens. What? There was a story about oh, it. Oh yeah, I, I, I think I actually it. remember that. Yeah, never, I'm no, pretty you sure don't that need was to in Florida up. too. No, you really don't need to look at it. All right, I won't. Milwaukee forty eight twenty two eighty two hundred job site backpack. That's cool. It's got thirty five pockets for organizing your tools. Tayama, 1.5 cup portable mini rice cooker, white, for $21.99. All right. Yeah, keep your rice cool on the go. Oh, sorry. Keep your rice warm on the go. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like cold rice, you know? Yeah. Just goes down the palate. No, I mean, rice supposedly has resistant starch. So the whole, we've talked about resistant starch on the show. Rice is supposedly one of those foods where it converts a small, if you cook it and then you cool it down, it converts a small percentage of the starch into resistant starch, which is a probiotic or prebiotic fiber that feeds the good bacteria in your gut and can help lower your blood glucose or minimize the impact on your blood glucose from eating this carby food. Um, potatoes have it. Potatoes have more of it if you cook them and cool them. But rice has some, and now they're working on rice that has a higher percentage of resistant starch. All right. And fried rice is the best because it's been cooked, cooled, and reheated, and then maybe cooled again. And the more times you do it, the more converts. Okay. So fried rice or sushi rice. EarthTech replacement keyboard with backlit and pointer for Dell Latitude. This is, uh, okay, so this looks like a, a keyboard that would screw into your laptop. It's a replacement. Yep, it's nice. a replacement. It looks like it's backlit, 
That's nice. It's always nice to have a backlit keyboard. I've got one in the studio right now, and I always put it on orange because blue would be harsh in my buzz. Yep. I'll just say at night. You don't want a blue light blazing in your eyes. Uh, Cartis for Fitbit Blaze charger. It's a charging stand for a Fitbit, basically. Wow, somebody really likes their Fitbit. Yeah, for 1028. I think they're doing it just to piss you off. I wouldn't be surprised. People do things just to piss me off. Yeah, they do, and it works. Well, you know, (laughs) I mean, to be fair, like, I do so many things to just piss people off. Yeah, I mean, I do it's only lot. fair. I agree. So, you know, I don't mind. I, I can actually, you know, I can dish it out and I can uh, I can eat it, too. <laughs> well, speaking of eating it, uh, Proctor Silex Portable Oval Slow Cooker 1.5 Quart shows a nice little split pea soup in there. Great segue. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you could make like fondue in there, too, I think. And it's only 15 bucks. That's pretty good. A slow cooker is a really good thing to have in the winter because you can just, at the beginning of the day, you just throw some meat in there, throw some veggies in maybe an hour before it's finished cooking, and you got a dinner. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Gaim Yoga Strap and Block Combo. Oh, that's where the other yoga block came from. So this is not only just a block, but uh, a block and a strap. Straps are very useful for yoga because if you can't reach, like if you're trying to grab your foot, your ankle behind your back and do like a dancer pose or something like that or Mm -hmm. a quad stretch and you can't quite reach your foot, you can just use a strap to extend your reach. You can also grab onto your pants, but if you can't even reach your pants, maybe a strap would help. Straps can also be used to support your legs. Like you can kind of put it around your your knees and sort of uh, let your... Like put the bottoms of your feet together and let your knees flop open and you can support your your legs that way. Right. Um, you can also use them, like loop it around your foot and sort of stretch your leg in different directions, like uh, laying on your back, put your leg up, out to the side and then cross body. So, yeah, lots of things you can do with yoga yeah. strap. Good for um, doing the Alabama cramp dangle as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What's the Alabama crab I'm not sure. You I tell know, me. I know what the Alaskan fire dragon is, but you wouldn't use a strap for that. But I'm not going to say. What is the Alaskan? No, I'm not going to say because it's terrible. Is it one of those sex acts that's yeah. like, oh, God. And this one's like bad. And so, <laughs> but the Alabama crab dangle, I've never, I've only heard about it. I've never it's actually seen it. It's a funny name. <laughs> it's funnier if you don't explain what it is, actually. Yeah. I don't even want to know. But, but I, I know there's a strap involved. So that, that like that's that's the best I've gotten. <laughs> a yoga strap is as good as any strap, I think. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So that guy at the beginning of the show, he's doing the Alabama crab dangle. <laughs> yeah. He's doing the Mexican crab dangle. <laughs> that's wow. racist. That's racist. You really left. <laughs> Wait, what was racist? What I was thinking or what you or what I was saying or what you were thinking look, you, and you didn't say. Yeah, no, what you said, the Mexican like like that look, you can make fun of white people, okay? But like don't go making fun of Mexicans. All right. No. <laughs> Whatever. What he is actually Mexican. Yeah, it's true. He's from Mexico. What am I supposed to say? That's true. Yeah. Uh, Kai, Kai is that like the sex? Wait, 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 wait. Because there's a, like, is that like the sex act, the Hebrew hammer? So it's not racist if you're. What's the Hebrew hammer? <laughs> I'll show you later. So, I thought the Hebrew <laughs> hammer was a name of a wrestler. No, no, no it, it, it's actually the name of a movie. But oh. um, yeah. Anyway. A racist movie, <laughs> an anti Semitic movie. <laughs> 
Kaizu men's underwear, brand ultimate cotton boxer brief, six oh, pack for twenty four dollars. Oh that yeah, was sorry. Yes, it was. <laughs> what is with you, Jesus fucking Christ? All right, U Green USB switch selector, two computers sharing four USB devices. That's interesting. No, oh, that's nice. Oh, it's like a USB hub, basically. Sure, KVM uh, switch. Yep, for twenty two ninety nine. Uh, people get these little electronics on our link, and I like that because that helps. Uh, LeTV, LeEco, LePro 3 case. What the fuck? Wait. It appears to be a phone case, but everything is Le, le whatever, Le, okay. le Case, so, LePro. Yeah, so LeEco, that's what I have. Oh! Um, I, I have, I, I mean, no, I didn't buy that. Okay. Uh, but... Is that like Apple with their eye shit? Like everything's an eye thing? Yeah, sort iPod, of, iPhone, sort of. But yeah. this this is a Chinese company, and they're they're dying fast. But uh, the Le Echo Pro or the Le Echo Le Pro really 3, it sounds French. Now that's racist. Yeah, right. They're uh, appropriating the French culture. Uh, oh boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is, in my opinion, this is one of the best phones on the market today. Well, somebody because, bought the phone too. Okay, Le Echo Le Pro Three unlocked smartphone. Did they get the gold or the silver? The gold. Oh, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So what's great about this phone, it's not great out of the box. I mean, it's not bad out of the box either. What's great about this phone is that it supports Lineage OS, which is an Android alternative. It's based on Android, but it's like, it's a much better version of Android. Let's put it that way. And it, it de-Googleizes, though you could still put in Google if you wanted to. Um, but this, there's a reason I use one and it, it is explicitly because it's the cheapest, about the cheapest phone that you can buy that has really good specs and, and you can get it cheap now because the company's tanking. So like, they just want to get rid of their stock, but it can run lineage OS. And so that's the whole draw. That's the beautiful appeal. And if you want to understand why important things like why you want to do things like that, like securing your devices by running Android alternatives, you can buy my book at darkandroid.info. That's the website. There you go. And you can get dark Android. So, okay. Oh, yeah. And you can get a LePro unlock smartphone for 178 bucks. Yeah. Heck yeah. Oh, that's, that's even better. Oh my gosh, this is so cute. Okay, so this is called Song Mike's Bamboo Lap Desk Portable Serving Tray with Tilting Top Storage Drawer. So this is a bamboo desk that has uh, two little trays that tilt so you can put them up or down. Okay. Um, one of them has like a, looks like a silicone kind of grip mat and it's for like bringing someone breakfast in bed. Like oh. if someone's in bed, you could bring them breakfast on this. And the other tray one has a grippy grippy mat. The other one has little flower cutouts. It's like a little wood cut. And it's really pretty. Nice. It's nice. Okay. But um so okay, you could bring someone breakfast in bed for it, but they also are showing it uh laptops. With a laptop, yeah, yeah. And, a, and a mouse and on the mouse pad. Sure. So it's maybe it's not a silicone thing. Maybe it's a standing desk. Oh, you could use this as a standing desk. You could put this on top of a regular desk. Nice. That is really cool. And it's only $33.99. Sometimes standing desks or standing desk conversion kits are so fucking expensive because they know that there's not many available. Yeah. And every and at a certain point years ago, everybody wanted a standing desk. Yeah. But there weren't that many on the market. So the ones that were, were very expensive. Yep. All right. Well, Song Mike's Bamboo Desk. Uh, 15.6 inch lcd led screen replacement for acer aspire e for 48 
29. Oh, okay. So I see what's going on. This was a little out of order, but somebody was replacing the keyboard in their laptop Mm -hmm. and they're probably also replacing the screen. Ah, okay. 4829 for the screen. Makes sense. Uh, V-Tree 55mm lens hood set, collapsible rubber lens hood with filter thread, reversible tulip flower lens hood, center pinch lens cap, and microfiber lens cleaning cloth for $10.99. These are filters for a camera and or lens hoods that, I guess, affect the picture. Nice. That you get. Yeah, very cool. Uh, wall speed groom corded trimmer for beard, mustache, stubble, Ear, nose, and body grooming with self-sharpening <laughs> blades. That's cool. Andy. How do the blades self-sharpen? How does that work? Uh, I'm a little skeptical. No, nah, mm. well, it does. It does. But I think that has to do with uh, kind of the, like, the rubbing action that they go through. But that's, oh. yeah. But I, I'm, I'm not that kind of an expert. Twenty nine ninety seven for that device. Nice. It was on sale. It was 35 but it's on sale for 30 All right. Um, self-sharpening, geez, they're going to put themselves out of business. Hope there's some planned obsolescence in there. <laughs> Von Chef Italian Espresso Coffee Maker Stove Top Macanetta, three cups. Makes three cups of espresso for $13.99. Okay. Uh, just, oh God. Women's Cosplay Lingerie Set Kitten Keyhole Cute Sexy Outfit. So this is like a little bra and panty set with a little cat on it and cat ears and a collar with a bell so when you walk you're going to jingle like a cat and a tail that sounds great that sounds really sexy and cute and it was yeah. only 20 bucks very cute wow winner <laughs> yeah that's the sexy item of the week i will say uh ovente 1.7 liter electrical kettle uh this is a stainless steel water boiler this is like an electric kettle uh looks really nice bpa free it has a cool exterior, so, like, it doesn't get hot on the outside if you touch it by accident. That's mm-hmm. the problem with some tea kettles. It's $18, and it's green. Nice. <laughs> nice. And then, finally, USB-C cables. That's a little anticlimactic, but everybody needs USB-C cables. You might they as well the get future. them from stuff.sexandsignshour.com. Yep. USB-C is the future. That's right. Well, thank you so much for doing all of your shopping that you've done this year through stuff.sexandsignshour.com. We really appreciate it. We love doing this after show, and we love having you be a part of it. Um one last item before we go. This is my pick of the week, oh. which we haven't done in a couple weeks, but I I kept meaning to uh, to get to it, and I just forgot about it, and I like had it on my show prep for a while, didn't get to it. This is a little mixer called the Aokio Mixer, uh-huh. and I don't know much about this company. Um, Aokio is a name I've never really heard, but I was looking for small mixers that had like one or two, one or a couple of channels that I could take on the road with me to do voiceover. That small, like almost size of your hand. Almost small. the size of your hand, small. Yeah, yeah like it, small enough to carry around. And you know, like I had a microphone that I used for travel voiceover, and I had a little U- XLR to USB converter, so it was an XLR microphone. But I got a converter so that it would convert the signal to USB and I could plug it in the computer. And that had a built-in preamp and stuff like that. That worked okay for a while. But then I was like, you know what? I really would like some EQ and compression on this little guy. Right. And how am I going to do that unless I have a mixer? A mixer would be obviously better than having some kind of... Like, you just couldn't get that kind of processing in um, in one of those converters. Right. So I was looking at mixers 
And, you know, I found Behringer mixers. I found um, Mackie mixers. I found a couple of other brands. I found uh, Focusrite mixers. And none of them just exactly fit the bill. But then I found this Aokio mixer. And I said, you know what, even though it's kind of an unknown name, I will take a chance on it. It was a, uh, it's a USB mixer. It's got phantom power. So it supplies the microphone with power. It plugs into your computer via USB. It doesn't have to plug into the wall. So that's nice. Just powered by the computer. It's got one uh, XLR channel. So you can plug the mic directly into it. And it's got uh, two more, three more um, uh, quarter inch uh, or yeah, quarter inch jacks Mm -hmm. that you can plug stuff into. It's got EQ, compression and a slider on and a gain on the uh, on the one channel for the mic, for the XLR channel. And the other channels have some other effects that you can put on them. And I'll tell you, it's great. We've used it for the show a couple times. It sounds phenomenal. And it was only $89.99. Yeah, so that definitely, price. if you have a need for a small mixer with like one or a couple channels, it's great. It does everything we want it to do. All right. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to Sex and Science Hour. Hope you have a great one. We'll see you soon.